You are listening to Forging Employee Experience. I'm Josh Drain, joined here with my co-host, Alexander Norin. How are you, buddy? So great. Staring down the uh, end of a week here, a good week, productive week, got a lot done, and uh, that's the best way to go into the weekend. Your inbox is empty, you're feeling good, you know, you can go away without having too much. Yeah, just had a big lunch, a bunch of pasta, so if I fall asleep on the episode, listeners, I'm sorry. It's not my fault. <laughs> well, I, I highly doubt that's the case because I'm really excited about our guest today, and he's extremely engaging. This is Michael Beck. Welcome to the show. Guys, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to, uh, to uh, answering some of your questions and having a, just a great conversation. Wonderful. Well, let me just inform our listeners a little mm-hmm. bit about who you are. Michael is the founder and CEO of Eliciting Excellence, an executive coaching company whose main goal is to groom high potential leaders for succession. He has worked with executives around the globe to improve employee engagement, effective communication, and leadership development. He is also the author of Eliciting Excellence, Bringing Out the Best in People, which I, I love the title because I feel like it aligns perfectly with your life mission. Is that, is that a good vibe? And is that what I'm picking up, Michael? Absolutely, Josh. You know, uh, years ago, I got thinking about leadership and you, you hear that leadership is important and there are all kinds of books on how to be a better leader. But it occurred to me that no one had actually stated why leadership makes such a difference. And after thinking about it, Uh, it occurred to me that the thing that makes leadership so important and so effective is that great leadership brings out the best in people. It elicits excellence. And so once I had that revelation, all, all of my work and our work reflects all that. And it's uh, obviously a perfect uh, reflection of what engagement is about. That's exactly right. And we're, that is, that is wonderful. And we are so excited to kind of sink our teeth into that and, uh, and really, really learn more. So, Michael, can you start us off off with uh, today? Just what do you, what are your thoughts? What uh, what, in your own words, in, in in your opinion, is employee engagement? Right. So, as as we all know, there there are many different perspectives and definitions of engagement. From my perspective, if you think about someone who's not terribly engaged, they basically do the work they need to do. And if you want to take it a step further, they do the work they need to do in order not to get fired. Mm -hmm. So that they do, um, you know, I I call it the the distinction between uh, commitment and compliance. So they're compliant. They do what's required. And then if you think about what separates somebody else who you would call engaged from that, it's kind of what they do in their discretionary time. So whether they're thinking about work outside of work hours, or they're doing work outside of these normal work hours, or they're taking initiative because they're, they want to aspire to a, a, a higher quality or a higher standard. To me, that's somebody who's engaged, and that, that's the distinction between someone who's engaged and someone who's simply compliant. Mm. Michael, you work with a lot of executives, especially executives who are struggling with like a younger generation coming into the workforce and trying to understand them. And, and the, the whole message is to like breed these younger leaders for succession eventually. Yes. What, what are you seeing in companies? Do we see high levels of engagement? Um, the vast majority of companies 
have low levels of engagement. So you can't pin it on millennials or any other generation. It's not generational. Okay. <clears throat> Secondly, I, I have, I have a different view than a lot of folks do about engagement. And um, my perspective on engagement is that if you've hired correctly, if you've hired people who are a good fit for your culture and the kind of work that needs to be done, you don't need to do anything to get people engaged. They're already engaged when you hire them. They're excited to be there. They're thinking of ways they're going to make a difference. They want to make a mark. They want to build a reputation. There's nothing you need to do. What you need to do is make sure you avoid disengagement. And this, I believe, is what really happens, is that you, you don't need to do anything to get everybody engaged. People get become disengaged. Why do they become disengaged? There's a, a saying in our business that people join companies, but they quit bosses. And it's absolutely true. And so when you go down to that level of understanding, it's the leaders who cause disengagement. Right. And there are some other circumstances where people can become disengaged. You know, if, if they're not being paid enough or it's a dangerous work environment, um, there, I mean, I talk about, I've spoken about three kinds of engagement, personal uh, engagement, organizational engagement, situational engagement. But we're right now we're kind of talking about uh, the personal and organizational end of it where assuming all things are equal, it's, it's the leader and how they interact with folks that either retains and maintains that level of engagement or begins to undermine it and you get disengagement. People become disillusioned and disenfranchised. And so to me, the art of driving engagement is working with leaders, not with the employees. So is the idea that, I mean, there's, there's a lot to unpack there, but the, the idea is that if you get the right leaders doing the right things, then all you have to do is hire for talent and, and they should be engaged. And we're oversimplifying it a bit, but yes. Yeah. So uh, I recently published an article in um, it was published in Oregon business magazine about engagement and we talk about personal engagement, which is really about making sure you you've hired the right person and how to, get a sense of whether they're that right person. And then the other two kinds of engagement, one is organizational, which is really about, uh, uh, part of it relates to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, where if you're not paying them enough and you're in providing the benefits. Yeah, um, unsafe work environment. It's an unsafe work environment. Then no matter what else you do, you're not getting engagement, right? Right. You haven't fulfilled those needs. Once you get above that, you know, the whole belonging and, and um, recognition, personal fulfillment, um, that's where you drive engagement even higher. So people can become disengaged or, or if, for instance, I was just talking to someone the other day about this. They love the, the company and their boss, but there's a ceiling. You can't advance any further. 
And so it becomes discouraging after a while because no matter how good a job you do, there's no future. So that's uh, a situation where it can erode engagement after a period of time. But most companies aren't like that in my experience, that there, there's always opportunity for growth and advancement uh, along those lines. Clearly, if you don't allow people to develop as professionals, if you don't provide professional growth opportunities, they get bored and disengaged. But the majority of the disengagement that I've come across all pertain to leaders and how they interact. Mm-hmm. The, that, that third part, the situa- situational engagement, uh, let me explain that a little bit. Leaders, executives come up with these initiatives. They want people to work on it or team leader can. I mean, it can happen at any level, right? But often they're misguided initiatives in that there's no, I call it, there's no emotional component. There's no real why. So as an example, uh, I was working actually as part of a, a larger coaching team with an international organization and they came up with a strategy they, and I'll, I'll change some of the specifics, but it, they, they called it a two by four strategy and they, they wanted to double sales in the, over the next four years. And they rolled it out around the globe and asked people to come up with strategies on how they were going to make that happen and all the distribution channels and big fanfare. And I kept pointing out to the other coaches who were working with the C-suite that that is not a strategy. It's a goal. And no one cares about a goal. Mm-hmm. There's no why to it. Uh, a lot of us have seen uh, Simon Sinek's TED Talk on why. Right. And, and uh, he's spot on with that. So where there was no why to it, it's just a goal. And no one cares about that goal other than the person who said it. Mm-hmm. So what happened after a year of this? Sales were down. Now, unfortunately, they actually did have a compelling why. And had they led with that, had they, they led with their, their underlying um, intention, their strategy, which was to regain the position in their industry as the premier solution provider of custom solutions. They would have weathered the economic downturns and actually risen to that. And as a byproduct, they would have reached their financial goals. So, so you can erode engagement by focusing on initiatives that actually have no, no emo- I call it an emotional component. Because you can't gain buy-in without emotion. And are these so? So I, I, I suppose that in the uh, general context of what we see most often with companies not not really engaging, not really um, implementing engagement strategies that are effective, th- these are the strategies that are almost like um, you know where, where organizations make employees feel like, hey, we're just we're just going to buy you some more stuff and and assume that engagement is taken care of. You know, this this idea that it's just yeah. You know, I mean, the, 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 the years ago, I, almost years ago, I wrote an article of, uh, entitled something like. Uh, the ping pong tables really drive engagement. Sure, right, right. And of course, they don't. Right. They don't. I mean, they're they're nice to have all, all yeah, these. No one's mad stuff. when there's a ping pong table. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But right. if you've got a, a boss that's a jerk, right, it becomes irrelevant. 
right? right? If you've got great leaders who interact effectively, they, they, I mean, we can talk what effectively means. Sure. But if you've got leaders who act like that, right. then sweetening the pot with, you know, catered meals and laundry and ping pong tables yeah. just makes it over the top. Right. Right. But you can't replace or overtake or overshadow bad leadership mm -hmm. with a ping pong table. So I, I want to circle back real quick to, to um, you, you mentioned earlier this idea that, that, that hiring, you know, if, if your leaders are, are leading properly, right? And of course, what, what does leading properly mean? That's, that's a, whole, a, whole, a whole space in and of itself. But, but if yeah. they are, if we assume that they are, then really your biggest concern is bringing in new people properly again whatever that looks like yes. um, but uh so so my 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 burning question is that seems to suggest that changing that if an organization is currently not um it currently has a high level of disengagement among employees it, it sounds almost as if the best way to get a better engaged workforce is almost to churn out the old and and bring on new better hires is that how, how does that kind I, of i don't yeah, I, that's a good question, and I, I, it requires some clarification from my end, I suppose. I, I don't, I don't believe that's the issue. Sure. Okay. I, I think, I, I think, eight, maybe even nine times out of ten, the issue is the leadership and not right. the hires. Right. Now it's possible. I see. I mean, you you can't. It's possible that you know once everyone's gotten a bad taste in their mouth, you you can't re revive them. Get sure. them reengaged. Almost a point like, of no return, sort of. Yeah, thing. so you right. might have to turn over the the uh, the workforce that way, but it's pointless unless you first correct the leadership issue. Otherwise, it happens again. Now, so a, a lot of times we talk to organizations, and we we found that leaders individuals are made leaders in organizations often for the wrong reasons, right? Yeah, absolutely. More right. often than not, it's, it's a high performer and, you know, at, at the entry level or, or, uh, you know, senior level there that, uh, they're being rewarded by being made a leader, which may not really even be what they want. They may just want to be paid more and, and think that the, uh, leadership role is the only way to get that. Yes. Um, is there a shift in thinking that has to occur around this idea that, uh, being a leader is what everybody in the organization should strive for. Cause that's almost what it seems like, right? You've got to get promoted, got to get promoted. Once you're in charge, uh, you get paid more more responsibilities, yada, yada. But it seems like we've got to change that thinking. Is that true? Well, yeah, of course. Okay. Um, and I, I liked your perspective that people get to a point where they go, the only way I'm going to get a raise and get more money is to rise in the ranks and be a leader and an executive. Sure. And I, that may never change. The reality of that may never change because okay. um, someone once said that people get paid really only what it costs to replace them. Mm, okay. So if, if you've got somebody doing a certain kind of work and, and we're just going to pick a number. Sure. Just for our, let's say they're making $50,000 a year. All right. And you can hire somebody else to do the same work at $50,000 a year. You're not going to be paying that person very much more than 50. That's almost the cap because that's what it costs to replace them. Sure. If they have a, unusual skills, 
that adds value. Now, one of the, some of advice that I often give folks, especially in the technical fields, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll ask them, which is more valuable, technical knowledge or people skills? And technical folks almost always say technical knowledge. Okay. But it's not true. See, knowledge you, you can acquire. You can read a book and become more knowledgeable. More technical, you, sure. you, yeah, more, more technical. It's not that hard to find and replace that. What's hard, for instance, is someone with technical skills and people skills because it's all about people and bringing out the best in people, whether you're a team leader or a director or a VP or a C-suite. It's all about interacting with folks and bringing out the best in folks. Mm -hmm. So a technical person who has no people skills has a cap on their value hmm. unless they are extraordinarily talented in yeah, their like technical a, field, right? right. So unicorn. Yeah. Yeah. Unicorn, right. <laughs> right. Which, but, which we all hope to be, you know, unicorn. Of course. <laughs> but so, so uh, if, so here's the, the, the odd, the odd coin on this, the two sides, if you want to be more valuable in a contributor's role, you need to hone your interpersonal skills, your people skills. Sure. If you've honed your people skills, then you're almost becoming better qualified to be a, a manager and a leader. And so, you know, if, if you want to be a manager and a leader, the only way to do it is to hone people skills. If you want to be more valuable as a contributor, actually comes down to the same thing. And once you've honed those, it's not that big a leap to oversee. And start managing other, yeah. other people. Yeah. And when you bring it back around, it's really interesting to think about it in that context because, you know, there, there, are, there are people who are going to come to work and they're engaged. There are people who are just kind of doing the bare minimum. And there are people who could be potential detractors from no question. The, the the results of, of the company and so uh, tell me what what would you suggest if you were talking to a ceo of a company who knows that there is low engagement at the corporation and they they want to increase l let's say increase the people skills increase some of the technical skills it just feels like there's not a culture in place that would help with that what what kind of coaching would you give them Right. So I, I think you triggered the key word. The, the word was culture. And a, a lot of, see, culture is an interesting concept. And, and a lot of folks will say culture are the values and behaviors a company aspires to. But that's not true. A company's culture are the values and behaviors it tolerates. And so if the leadership tolerates being, for instance, disrespectful to, to folks, that is the culture. If they're poor communicators, if they, if they um, micromanage, if, if they uh, are not tolerant of mistakes, you know, for, you know the companies that, that say, yeah, we, we want innovation, we want you guys to be creative, and then they, they just beat them when they make a mistake is made. Right. Um, it's dysfunctional. 
So culture actually is driven by leaders as well. So if you've got a good culture and then you commit to living it, that drives everything else. It drives how you interact with people. I mean, if you, if you think about a boss and how the, and they and their their dynamic with their direct reports. I mean, it's generally it's interpersonal skills. It's how whether they listen to them, whether they respect them, whether they trust them. Mm-hmm. And if you, I mean, trust and respect are big deals, right? Are are, are right. very important in driving all of this. And and basically, you a leader earns respect by showing respect. If if the leader doesn't demonstrates that they don't respect others, those folks don't respect the leader. And if the leader demonstrates that they don't trust others, like for instance, micromanaging is a symptom of people not trusting, leaders not trusting the folks doing the work. When you demonstrate you don't trust people, they don't trust you either. And a, a leader who's not respected and not trusted is ineffective and people check out. What's fascinating, so when I, when I hear these, these concepts, to me, I, I start thinking, okay, well, so how do we, how do we get there? Um, for, for our listeners, as we, as we, as we uh, close, uh, come to the end of our conversation here today, are there, some, are there some practical, actionable items that, you know, before we get into the idea, in my, in my experience, right, to change nature, to change, you know, how, how, how am I as a, as a communicator? How am I as someone who, who uh, shows that I respect other people? You know, those, those character traits. I, I, I've noticed that it takes the application of, of a lot of actionable, um, you know, just doing and doing and doing until, until one yes. day you realize, oh, wait, okay, so now I am a better communicator after I have done some, some concrete specific things to improve that. Are there any, yes. uh, you know, a handful of, uh, or anything that you would say specifically that you could uh, suggest uh, to our listeners who are trying to really hone and make sure that their teams are functioning at a high level of engagement? Yes, I, I'd be happy to. And of course, like like is what has been the kind of recurring theme today is that if you want teams to be highly engaged the the leader needs to hone right. their abilities yep and Absolutely. and um you you can't you can't declare that you're a good communicator or that you can be trusted right. that you have integrity right. mm-hmm. okay th- those things have to be earned and they're earned over time now um an associate of mine many years ago called those those things moments of apparent insignificance okay. i love that phrase if they're not you, people don't form opinions of us based on these big grandiose things that we do pronouncements they observe all the little things we do when we're actually not even thinking of it how we interact with people the, the, our facial expressions our body language all of the people just begin to form those opinions of us over all those little bits. And it takes time. You can't just say, okay, I'm, you can, you can say, I'm trying to be a better communicator. I'm trying to change. And, uh, I, I'm happy for you guys to call me out on it when I don't. Mm -hmm. That's that. Now we're getting into transparency and vulnerability. Right as a leader, but though so those are things people can do, but a person can't just say, I'm, I'm going to do this better. And even if they feel like they are doing it better, 
it actually doesn't matter what they feel. It's what everyone else feels about them. And that just takes time. Right. So to, to uh, kind of circling back to another point, sometimes the way to clean house is not to let the employees go and hire new ones. It's to let the leaders go and hire new ones. Mm, yeah. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Right? You get a new boss and all of a sudden the future looks brighter. <laughs> yeah, or at least there's at least there's a new glimmer of hope at the at the very least. Exactly. Right. Right. Well, Michael, thank you so much for your insights today. I um we a lot of stuff. I when, whenever we have these conversations, I have my notepad. I got a whole pad of, of just really interesting thoughts, and 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 I really we really appreciate uh, you know you sharing your years of experience with us. Um, as we as we as we close out today, is there any last minute uh, anything that you would like to add here as we wrap up the episode? Uh, I, you know, obviously, I'm a, a huge advocate of leadership. Sure. Uh, would love. I, I've I've written a book about it. I, I've on my website, on our website, we have information on executive coaching and under that employee engagement, and uh, that's uh, elicitingexcellence.com. Okay. And um, uh, you know, I I think I think to your point, which was insightful is that just because a person's gone gotten placed into a leadership role it requires a different skill set than they were as a contributor and i and i think uh, however they acquire it they need to recognize it's a different skill set and should strive to be the best at that as well Wise words, Michael. Thank you so much for sharing. And also, listeners, you can check out his book. If you just go to Amazon, type in Bringing Out the Best in People by Michael Beck. It's a great way to find him. He's also active on Twitter. Well, well thanks again for being on the show. And uh, we look forward to future conversations. Mm-hmm.